Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry... We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. Thanks to Noom for supporting Muller She Wrote. Sticking to a weight loss plan can be hard. Noom is designed for results. It's out with the old habits and in with the new. Sign up for your trial today at noomnoom.com slash ag. Hi, I'm Scott Dworkin from the Democratic Coalition, and you're listening to Muller She Wrote. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have, not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G., and with me, as always, is Jaleesa Johnson. Hello. And Jordan Coburn. Hello. Guys, we won the People's Voice Webby for Best News and Politics podcast. Yay. And we can't thank you enough for voting. Uh, we'll all be headed to New York to attend the festivities with some diehard fans on May 13th, May 12th, May 13th. Uh, we need a five-word acceptance speech. So my first instinct is put some beans on it. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. 
um, because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> True. Also, if I may say this, we had some reviews saying, I don't know what they're talking about with the beans. So maybe we could do a quick recap really quick. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, first of all, probably around episode 24, Dallas McLaughlin came on to, to talk about where that phrase came from. Basically, oh, about a year ago, I was looking for like a catchphrase, like Maddo has watch this space, right? Or I wanted to say, put a pin in this, or, you know, just remember this, you know, kind of to punctuate what was happening at the time. And so <laughs> I I was trying all different catchphrases. I, I went to the hive mind. I went to Twitter. I was like, what should be my catchphrase? What should be my catchphrase? So I, I started to remember a bit that our friend Dallas McLaughlin did as a comic. He, he got up, this is a, a long time ago, when the Blue Collar Comedy Tour was really big, and they had the Gitter Done catchphrase or whatever and so dallas had this thing where he was saying you know all i need is a catchphrase and i'll just i'll be famous (laughs) beyond compare like worldwide i just need a catchphrase so he was testing out catchphrases but like meaningless hilarious catchphrases like that's some medium salsa or something (laughs) like that and the final one was put some beans on it and uh I just thought that that was hilarious and meaningless and made no sense. And so we decided to adopt it. <laughs> right. The idea was that we were trying to find something that was kind of silly and, and we could just, you know, make fun of it. But it, it took on like a world of its own. People really embraced it. There were some bean haters. I don't yeah. know what you want to call them. Um, <laughs> bean haters. But overwhelmingly it was uh, embraced. So thank you guys for yes anding us on that one. <laughs> yeah, that was that was uh so that's where that comes from so now if we say we're going to put some beans on something it's kind of like we're betting on it or if we have a theory because we like to definitely keep our theories separate from our facts um and so that's when we say we have beans somebody said they're from outer space they're so out there so they were space beans and Mm -hmm. then super space beans and it just kind of took on a life of its own so that's where put some beans on it comes from and the so oranges story the, the oranges <laughs> of beans and so good one and so uh that's what we were kind of thinking of as our five word speech because it's our catchphrase but it absolutely is meaningless and and you know people would be like what the hell right but it means something to us now actually i think that's why we probably should do it is because it's an inside joke that the world could hear us say and like maybe wonder like oh what's that about and then right or it would just be so weird because some of these five word speeches are weird like people get up on pogo sticks and (laughs) and uh with weird hats and things and just say five random things and or you know five random words but then other times people have really meaningful messages and i'm like should we go with a meaningful message but anyway if you have any ideas uh, there's a crowdsourcing day for the five-word speech on Twitter, Thursday, May 9th. So look out for that. If you have any ideas about what sh- we should say in five words or how we should say it, like should we wear costumes or bring beans to throw at people? I don't know. <laughs> Just If you have any ideas, email us at hello at com. And thanks again so much for the uh, for the win. That's all you guys. Yeah, that's incredible. I'm blown away. People's voice. Uh, we are now writing and recording our official page-by-page review of the Mueller report. It will be probably a 10-part series because <laughs> it's really, it's pretty extensive, the review that we're doing. It'll be the culmination of all the work we've done. We will be reviewing the report in context, discussing all the intricacies and connecting dots based on the hundreds of hours of research we've done. We've actually written about 2,500 pages of script, which is five times longer than the actual Mueller report. (laughs) Uh, We'll be releasing these early and ad-free for patrons and to the public in very short order, so keep your eyes out for those episodes on our main feed. If you're not a patron, you can become one for three bucks at patreon.com slash MullerSheWrote, and that will automatically uh, enroll you to be a patron for our new daily news show called The Daily Beans. Uh, We've got They Might Be Giants composing the music. We have some of the best comedy writers and justice experts in the business. I think you'll really enjoy it. And we just need 
uh, we just actually released a, a sample episode to the public, so you can check that out for free right now uh, in our feed. Tell us what you think. All right, before we dip into the news, it's time for my favorite segment, Corrections. It's a mistake. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. Shut the fuck up! All right, guys, during the free will and a vagina episode of the Daily Beans, it was pointed out to us regarding Trump refusing to allow Stephen Miller to testify to Congress that the EOP, or Executive Office of the President, has a lot of precedent not allowing White House staff to testify. So it's actually pretty normal. I think what's more concerning, uh, however, is the pattern, the overall pattern of obstruction. and we'll be covering that. I'll be, I'll be talking about that later in Hot Notes. That's concerning to me regardless of the administration. Yeah, it is. Uh, I agree, too. Um, but we, there are some past ex- um, examples of this in the Bush and Obama administrations we'll be going over. Uh, and how long those took in court to resolve. Uh, you're not going to be happy about it. Um, for folks who work in Congress or with Congress, the intel committees in the House and the Senate are called the HIPSI and the SISI, or HPSCI, House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. And uh, the the sissy is the is the Senate um, Select Committee on Intelligence. Not sure what this was a correction of, uh, <laughs> because that's what I call these at work. I mean, you know, I work with with you know the a lot of these uh, groups in in Congress, and we call them the hipsy and the sissy. Yeah, maybe it was an elaboration. Um, yeah, yeah I, I just I never use those terms on the show because they aren't well known. Like if I'm like, oh, the hipsy today, everybody's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's good to know. So you, if you want to talk like. You, you're an insider. You could, you know, call him the hipsy and the sissy. <laughs> um, Senator Boozman is pronounced Bozeman, <laughs> and Moron is pronounced Moran, though I quite prefer Boozman and Moron. <laughs> this reminds me of my childhood doctor whose name was Dr. Dushman, <laughs> oh, no. and it was clearly spelled Dushman, but he preferred to be called Dushman. That's great. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was his preference. His choice. Yeah. That was his preference. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, when I worked in the hotel industry, if anyone's name was Wiener, we called him Weiner until they corrected Out us. Out of respect, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Mr. Weiner. It's Wiener. Okay, just, you know, cool. Yeah, better safe. Yeah. Um, there was a uh, another person I work with, Dick Lipschitz. Oh, That's God. a really, really horrible name i've always loved Lipschitz, though and we had a we had a cardiac <laughs> you've always loved Lipschitz. the name yeah yeah okay not so much but <laughs> and we had a cardiac surgeon named dr morrissey and i was like he literally tears your heart out <laughs> and so that was kind of funny but uh yeah names are weird but yeah i like boozman and moron they're from uh senators from virginia and kansas respectively i believe um yeah we we might get another correction on that but um they're both republicans and so uh, Bozeman and Moran. Got it. Uh, Elizabeth Warren's 50 million plus tax is a wealth tax, not an income tax. It's a tax on holdings like a property tax is a tax on your house. Currently, if you have like $100 million just chilling in the bank, like like you do, um, <laughs> you only pay taxes on the interest or capital gains you earn from that money. Warren's plan would tax the full $100 million at 2%. Mm-hmm. Sounds fair. I think so too. So wealth tax, not income tax. And then finally... The letter that yells at you in Harry Potter is called a howler, not a screamer. That's right. Uh, and we were like, I, don't, I forget what it's called. It's not that, but, you know, let us know. And one of our Ravenclaw fans sent us a note. We got a few. Mm-hmm. Um, howler got it. I love it that uh, the segment, um, most of our corrections these days are all about Harry Potter lore. Yeah, there's a theme here. And it's pronunciation. pronunciations in Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, I'm digging it. Yeah. I like it. So any other things we got wrong? Um just let us know. Email us, hello at MullerSheWrote.com. We'll get it right. Uh, right now, though, we've got a whole ton of news to get to. So let's jump in with just the facts. 
All right, so the Qatar Investment Authority is back in the news. If you remember, that's the group that uh, helped sell off Rusal. Uh, and no, was it Rusal? No, it was Rosneft. And also bailed out the Kushner Devil Building at 666 Fifth Avenue, where the Devil's Mermaid probably lives. <laughs> uh, much to their own. She's su- a tank there. Yeah, she does, <laughs> like in Splash. Beep, beep. A big fish tank, just Maria yeah. Butina swimming around. <laughs> <laughs> it's the uh, the uh, indictment uh, aquarium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. And so they they helped bail out the Kushner building, much to their own surprise. Apparently, they came out and said, "Oh, we had no idea. We invested billions. Mm-hmm. I think it was one point sure. three billion dollars." The old Deutsche Bank tune, huh? <laughs> yeah, singing the old Deutsche Bank tunes. They they put out a statement that they had no idea they were so heavily invested and tried to distance themselves from Kushner. Uh, because they, you know, they are saying that they want to invest thirty-five to forty-five billion dollars in the United States in the coming five years or so. But this week, we found out that the Qatar Investment Authority has teamed up with a U.S. real estate group called Crown, and they just bought a crapload of New York's most iconic properties in Times Square and along Fifth Avenue, including some retail space on the ground floor of the Devil Building. Um, not sure they're going to claim they had no idea this time, right? Since <laughs> they haven't made the purchase yet. But Vornado said it would use $290 million of the $1.3 billion in cash paid by Crown and the Cutteries to pay off a loan for 666 Fifth Avenue, according to a filing with U.S. securities regulators. What's interesting is the market sucks. It's really soft right now. Retailers in the area have said sales have tumbled, like Tiffany, the, their their Crown jewel store. Yeah, fancy. Cra- crown of jewel store. <laughs> Fine jewelry on both sides. Yes. The, <laughs> uh, and so it just seems odd to buy retail space in an area that's down 24% year over year from last year. So just, I don't know, weird, but I'm sure they have no idea. Right. And to come ahead of it and claim that they didn't know they were so involved with Kushner in the first place, only to continue that practice yeah 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 mm. and so i'm telling you now hmm. qia i'm telling mm. you right now nice you're I buying a bu- like alley hoop moment for a yoda <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you're buying a bunch of kushner stuff just so you know uh, if you didn't if you didn't know so don't act shocked uh, maria butna or the devil's mermaid as jordan calls her was sentenced this week and jaleesa you have that story for us later in hot notes oh yeah during the first full week of the Mueller report being out the redacted Mueller report uh, most of it, at least 13% of it's redacted about. Giuliani and Trump have been hitting their lube the truth tour pretty hard. Uh, in an interview with Jake Tapper, Giuliani said, quote, there's nothing wrong with taking information from the Russians. It depends on where it came from. You're assuming that the giving of the information is a campaign contribution. Read the report carefully. The report says we can't conclude that because the law is pretty much against that. People get information from this person, that person. So that's his wise words. Mm-hmm. And all of that is completely wrong. Um, you know, he reminds me of the old uh, Six Flags guy. You know, the no. little guy that dances in front of the bus in the commercials. He oh, was yeah. bald with a little bow tie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That guy was so much more happier. Though. I was going to say, yeah, he's not nearly as much yeah. fun as that guy. Yeah, he's think... like the, the yeah, anti-Six Flags guy. For yeah, sure. that guy brought joy. He did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This guy brings lube. Although I do feel like I can imagine Giuliani just dancing on his own, like, like some psychotic no, person. Yeah, just <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I'm doing a great clicking job. His, <laughs> clicking his heels in his bedroom at night. Yeah. Yeah. Go Rudy. Jumping on the grave of his career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, that's pretty much what's happening. Uh, yeah, so that's all wrong. In fact, it is illegal to take anything of value from a foreign entity in a campaign, and it does not depend on where it comes from i would like what it, i don't even know what he meant by that but it doesn't matter where it fucking comes from is if it's foreign stuff handed over to you that's illegal if it has value 
Uh, I'm wondering if he's thinking about Assange not being charged with the dissemination of stolen documents yeah. because it sounds like he's making the same argument that Assange supporters would make about him by saying a media outlet can distribute stolen documents under the First Amendment, which is a fine argument, but it's not the case here. Uh, he, he then says Mueller did not conclude Trump committed a crime by accepting stolen documents because the law is pretty much against that. What does that mean? I don't know, but it's not what the report says. Uh, the report says they were unable to assign a value to the stolen documents, and that's pretty much the only reason it didn't rise to the level of an illicit, of illicit criminality. Mm -hmm. uh, that and Don Jr. was too dumb to establish mens rea. If that, so much of this, if it all went in front of a jury, the outcome would be different, I think, though. Because they're, they're, like, declining to make a you know, official stance on it right now. But if that went in front of any sort of sensical person, it'd My be like, ruler. clearly that has yeah. value. <laughs> it's in some, at least that's what I would like to believe. Yeah. Even if it's just a nickel for the paper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like the actual material values themselves. And then also just Toner's the empirical expensive. gain they get from mm -hmm. that information. Penny for your thoughts. Toner's, yeah. toner's very expensive. <laughs> um, and then Jake Tapper said to Giuliani, but you're saying there's nothing wrong with that. To which Rudy replied, there's no crime. Uh, we're going to get into morality. That's not what prosecutors look at. Morality. <laughs> so Trump and his supporters' defense here is that any behavior is pretty much okay as long as it doesn't rise to the level of illicit criminality beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, you'd think that the same group of people who want to lock Hillary up for using a private server would apply the same values <laughs> to their candidate, but doesn't seem so. Yeah, right. Uh, then Trump tweeted this week, that he, he's fully denying he told Don McGahn to fire Robert Mueller. I'm not sure if he's looping up his base for a possible McGahn testimony to Congress, but uh, he's now flat out denying Mueller's findings, even though at one point claimed Mueller fully exonerated him, which he did not. Uh, also this week, Hillary wrote a big op-ed in the New York Times about how to respond to the Mueller report, basically weighing in on the impeachment argument. She opened with a statement that the definitive conclusion of the Mueller report was that our election was corrupted, our democracy assaulted, and our sovereignty and security violated, and that it documents a serious crime. The Mueller report documents a serious crime against the American people. She calls the impeachment debate a false choice between immediate impeachment or nothing. I guess she doesn't listen to Mueller, she wrote. <laughs> but I, I suppose it could be fair to characterize the debate in those terms. She acknowledges that this is personal for her, and she might not be the right messenger, but she's not an impeachment advocate. I could see her coming off as disingenuous if she was screaming impeachment, but she's not. So she's actually erring on the side of caution, I guess. Weak. She Weak sauce. Weak, Weak sauce. She advocates for patriotism, not reflexive partisanship. She calls the Mueller report a roadmap, and we always knew it would be. David Priest and I actually talk about that later in the show in the interview, so stick around for that. Whether you're, you're an impeachment advocate or not, you, you, you should agree that the report is a roadmap for Congress and the American people. Um, Hillary thinks there should be substantive hearings that build on the Mueller report and fill in its gaps rather than going straight to an up-and-down vote for impeachment. Um, she says in 1998, the Republicans rushed to judgment, and that was a mistake then, and it was a mistake now. But I disagree. She doesn't, she doesn't go on to say why it was a mistake. I don't think the 1998 impeachment of Clinton was a mistake. It was the execution of justice and the duties of Congress under the Constitution. Bill Clinton. That's so funny. Her Wait, husband she's being bringing up. She's bringing that up as them. That's a weird. That's example. a fucking weird ass op-ed, dude. Yeah, that's really conflict weird. Conflict of interest, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I don't like. That's any why of she's that. probably like. Mm, maybe I'm not the messenger. Yeah, maybe job. it's his wife. That's a little weird for me to, you know, bring up. 
But uh, Bill Clinton obstructed justice by lying about a blowjob. He was impeached, but not removed, probably because he only lied about a blowjob. Had he not been impeached, it would have sent a message that lying to Congress, even if it's just about a blowjob, is okay, and that the president's above the law. Yeah. So basically, Hillary calls for hearings about the Mueller report to inform the public and a 9-11 commission-style independent investigation, all while calling for the Democrats to stay focused on a sensible agenda for 2020. That's her little dig it you know don't be too progressive <laughs> right and, and i do agree with most of that though i personally think the public hearings should be part of an official impeachment inquiry to establish a judiciary proceeding for getting those grand jury materials under rule 6e but more importantly to send the message that if you fuck shit up like this we will impeach you because no one is above the law um so we all want the same stuff we just call it different things uh but but i did speak to renato mariotti from the On Topic podcast, and Harry Lippman from Talking Feds, who have both told me that opening an impeachment inquiry is not required to establish the judicial proceeding um, to get the grand jury materials, and have assured me that if there are just public hearings into the Mueller report, the House Judiciary will be able to get the grand jury materials. Nice. So that's kind of a correction of sorts. Um, but now we're just down to holding presidents accountable for their actions right. as a reason to officially open an impeachment inquiry. But I'm certainly not for an immediate up or down vote on impeachment. I don't think most of us are. I could be wrong, but I think we need to hold hearings to inform the public and see if we can get a 20 GOP Senate swing to vote to remove him. Even then, I don't see impeachment as harming Democrats in this case. Yeah, I agree. I need to read the full op-ed, obviously, because my initial reactions are negative. Yeah, yeah, hot takes <laughs> but, here. Right, but that's... Um, so she's saying we don't want to move too quickly because then it could come off as looking politicized as it did in 98. That's what she's saying, with basically. But no, minor, that's, minor yeah. Detail. I think what she's saying is in '98 it was a mistake to impeach, and I, she's inferring that the Democrats suffered backlash in the following election, but they really didn't. She's inferring that it somehow politically damaged Democrats, but I don't see that as being didn't Bill true. Get support and a little, but I mean he was not for re-election. True. Uh, and so, and a Democrat technically won in 2000. Uh, Al Gore technically beat Bush. <laughs> Uh, he certainly won the popular vote, uh, and then it all came down to a Florida Supreme Court decision, which is where his brother was, mm-hmm. not in the court, but you know, right, governor right, right. of the state. So it it just seems odd to me that she made the assertion that it would be politically damaging to Democrats, but didn't say why she thought that. Right, exactly. I think it's that kind of irresponsible of her to come out and say that. Yeah, although although she wouldn't. Being who she is, she wouldn't be able to come out and just say, impeach the motherfucker. Right. Because she's the one who lost to him in the election. So I don't know if this is something she really wanted people to know about or if she's making a measured declaration on her right. own. Right. Why did she write it? Both. I still think back to when Hillary, and I know it's a separate issue, sort of. I'll, I'll try to make sense of it, but when she called um, like black men super predators, like she jumped on the train, and I don't think that she is a racist. I don't, I don't get personal vibes, but she did go with like what she thought was the flow of the times, and I think she might still be like that, you know? Kind she has of a, a whole fair record weather, of doing that her yeah, whole life in politics. Fair-weather politician, and uh, so that's why I prefer someone like Warren. You know, I think a woman could win, but someone who stands their ground and, like, really has strong core values, you know? Yeah, although I will say, uh, when I read the op-ed, and so we don't go too on to slam and Hillary here, mm-hmm. that when I was reading it and the way she wrote it and just her ability to write and communicate really made me sad that this election was stolen from her. Yeah, oh, she's still absolutely. a brilliant woman and was oh, highly yeah. qualified. And yeah, it yeah. made me think of how different it would be 
uh, how much more we'd be shoring up our elections in 2020 against the Russians, how much more we would have responded to the actual attack on us. It was a fucking attack. You're absolutely right. Uh, had she been elected, uh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I voted for her for the record, and I would do it again if she were on the ticket. Yeah, but I, yeah. I will say that I, I prefer someone with with more, um, I guess, passion. A little less moderate, definitely. Exactly, yeah. and I think we should be able to take up that space where we're criticizing someone, even though we're not damning them as a whole. For sure, for sure. Podcast branch. Yeah, <laughs> agree, agree. Podcast branch. But I like your point. Checks Angie. and balances. You make a really, really good one. Because, um, I mean. Going into 2020, I want to be able to have open and honest discussions about platforms for the Democrats without, you know, bullshit. Uh, oh, he, you know, what, you know, whatever he or she did, the, you know, the the DNA thing or the um, judge not being gay enough or, <laughs> you know, Biden, you know, being a little creepy sometimes with his touches or whatever it is, whatever, you know, not progressive enough, not this, not that. Great, but if you're if you're gonna tear tear somebody apart, just keep in mind that you might have to bring that ex back to dinner at your house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're gonna have to. The, whoever wins is gonna have to get everybody behind them. Uh, and you, if you come out now, I mean, if somebody, you know, if if one of the candidates fucked a child, uh, and you know, okay, deal breaker, bye, for sure. yeah, yeah, you know, or like people like Howard Schultz, who's just a, he's not running on the damn ticket, but you know, get sit the fuck down mm-hmm. um <laughs> that you know but for the most part we just have to remember that who the person that you're coming out and spewing hate against might be the nominee and now you've got to reconcile voting for that person so just don't don't get all up on your hate ladders <laughs> exactly yeah um but yeah so that that was hillary's op-ed you should read it is she gonna announce later do you think She's not running. Yeah, I, don't, I think she's done. You things. don't think there's any chance that she'll come out later and announce? I'll put beans on zero chance Hillary's running. Zero chance, you mm-hmm. think? Yeah, that'd be pretty funny. I mean, talk about a sabotage, right? <laughs> Dude. That'd be such an epic fucking comeback, though. I'm Holy all for it. I, I don't discourage her as much as I used to. I just think that she's done so much and she put her all in, and I would not blame her for saying, fuck you guys. Oh, no, yeah. There would be, I think there would be a lot of people that would vote for her just to stick it to Trump. Oh, Absolutely. For sure. Just because it's her. Like Ooh, the biggest Kamala fuck Harris, you. Hillary yeah. Clinton. I mean, she's still a fucking badass, like, dedicated public servant who is a woman and is strong as shit. So. Yeah, totally. What yeah. if she's the VP? For for Harris or, or Warren, that or would be Warren, or what? It, yeah, to like bring the moderate group in. Oh, that'd be crazy. Or the independents in. You yeah, know, or, but you know, in America there can't be two women. You know, oh that's God, weird. their oh. periods would sink up. God we would die. We'd all die. Yeah, we'd be a female country then. No, <laughs> oh, the terror. Um, <laughs> like when you have two black guys on a show. Oh, it's a black show now. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought there was supposed to be one white guy at least. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, when I read it, I was like, oh, damn it, I wish she fucking would have won. That would have been outstanding. Um, yeah, And definitely. she did, but, you know. Brilliant mind. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, much props to her. I, I apologize if I come off as uh, aggressive about it. I do like her. No, no I thought you were we should be measured. able to say, like, nuanced opinions. Thank yeah. you. And Thank I guarantee you. we're going to get an email from someone that's going to be like, <laughs> I can't listen to you guys anymore because you just shit on Hillary yeah. for 10 minutes or whatever. And I don't think we did. I, think we, I don't think we did either, but that's how people hear it because, like, you, like they're so triggered. That confirmation bias. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they instantly hear it. Everything shuts down. The walls come up and they say, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's a little too moderate for me. That's just me. Uh, but it's like I said, if she does a comeback and comes in and wins the nomination, I'll vote for her again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did it in 2016. Mm-hmm. I'll vote for her again in, in 2020. 
Uh, I'll vote for whoever wins the goddamn yes, nomination. Exactly. <laughs> Fuck, it's not hard, you guys. And the election be forced. Ugh, no one's forcing you. <laughs> but why are you? Why is your vote all yours and so fucking holy? Like, there are so many people who will could die under a Trump presidency, and you're willing to throw your vote away. Fuck them, mm-hmm. because if you you wanted a sixteen dollar hour minimum wage instead of fifteen. Fuck off. Seriously. Sorry. Not not like no really. Fuck off. <laughs> I almost was like, no, you don't have to fuck off. But no, you should. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're keeping it real today. Right? I don't think anybody would disagree with that. I don't think any sane no, person no, I'd would say disagree with that. Point. Um, because it, the, that's the way the vote, it, it sucks that our system is like that. But not voting isn't going to fix the system. You're just going to lose a seat at the table to even discuss it. Right. Uh, it, here's how it works. There's going to be two candidates, unless there's a third party candidate too. One of them's going to win. And that's how it fucking works. Mm-hmm. You yeah. sitting at home, not voting, sitting on your hands or writing in Bugs Money isn't going to fix our two-party system. <laughs> right. The only people that would disagree with you are the ones you're talking about right now. <laughs> yeah. And they do. They disagree hard. And I understand you're frustrated with the two-party system. I think we should have ranked choice voting. I think that the whole system needs to be reformed. We need to get rid of the Electoral College. We need to stop gerrymandering. We have to have one person, one vote. I get it. We should have a parliamentary uh, thing where the percentages of the vote that you get for your party is how many percentages of people are are sat in the Congress, in the House of Representatives. We should have that. Let me write this down. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. Julissa, twenty twenty. And it sucks, but I'm not going to vote. Uh, doesn't fix that. All it does is it helps elect Trump, and then you get no say at all for another four years, and people die. So, just putting that out there. Um, you can disagree. Um, send us an email. Hello, yeah. what Mueller, she wrote. Send just, it to Cricket Media. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't send it. Send it to Hillary Rodham Clinton. No, just put it in a shit sandwich. I'll read it. I will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We do read that. I, I do appreciate so all your opinions. Uh, okay, let's see. Moving on. We learned Monday that Bill Barr has received an ethics waiver from Emmett T. Flood to not have to recuse himself from overseeing the investigation of 1MDB by the FBI and the Department of Justice. 1MDB is the Malaysian fund that Jolo stole billions of dollars from and laundered it with the help of Elliot Broidy and Pras Michel from the Fugees. It's the same fund that the Cutters were going to... Uh, no, no, the no, the, the, the QIA and Ice Cube is a different case. Right. Uh, but yeah, the Fugees are involved in this. Barr was an attorney with the firm Kirkland & Ellis. It sounds like the Costco law firm, <laughs> Kirkland & Ellis. <laughs> now, that now got my law degree at in Costco. Bulk. Yeah. <laughs> Right next to the optometry office. (laughs) And so, and Kirkland and Ellis now represents Goldman Sachs in the 1MDB case. And he used to work for them. Barr got a waiver on April 16th, just like last week. And uh, Emmett T. Flood also gave an ethics waiver last November that allowed Brian Benchkowski to participate in the investigation, despite also having worked for Kirkland and Ellis. The waiver could give Barr a peek into the Eastern District of New York investigation involving the Trump Victory Committee, a super PAC dedicated to reelecting Trump in 2020. Renato Mariotti says that given Barr's highly questionable handling of the Mueller report rollout, there are appearance issues raised whenever he supervises an investigation involving Trump. Uh, As we previously reported, Kirkland and Ellis also represented Alpha Bank, headed up by Yerman Khan, the father of Vanderswan, who was indicted by Mueller for funneling pro-Russian Ukrainian money into the Trump inaugural. And as you'll remember... Alpha Bank servers were communicating directly with a server in Trump Tower in early 2015. So Barr shouldn't have been allowed to provide oversight for the Mueller investigation at all, let alone be given a, a redaction pen and the ability to make decisions on obstruction of justice in that case. It's so nuts that he's, that he's done this, and now he has an ethics waiver 
which is just a weird thing to me. That hall pass, yeah. <laughs> like why, you, you know, at least don't call it an ethics waiver. <laughs> call it an oversight waiver. Yeah, because cover you it just, up like you do everything you're else. You're just making it sound like <laughs> your unethical bullshit is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, way too on the nose of a name for my liking. Totally. Yeah, yeah but that's ethics exactly waiver. what it is. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's this whole administration is an ethics waiver. <laughs> uh, the New York Times reported this week that uh, Department of Homeland Security, former Secretary of Department of Homeland Security, Kirsten with a J Nielsen, was warned by Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney um, not to... I feel like... Do you guys ever watch the Animaniacs? I feel like yeah. he should be in there like totally insane Mick Mulvaney. <laughs> Hell yeah. Citizen Kaney, Dana Delaney, Animaniacs. <laughs> Every time I see Mick Mulvaney, I, I want to put that in that song. But uh, anyway, uh, Kirsten Nielsen was warned by Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney not to brief Trump on possible Russian interference in the 2020 election despite her concern. She had a legitimate concern that the Russians would attempt to interfere. According to a source... Mulvaney said, quote, wasn't a great subject and should be kept below the president's level. Mm. How, you, Can so, you get any lower? No, right? <laughs> Hell? Like, like, what, right, what's the side is limbo. <laughs> what's below? How low can you go? <laughs> Oh no! The status limbo. Keep it below the president's level. Let's get a Congo line going, guys. Yeah, dun 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 dun. Hey, this is Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, if the world's ending, might as well The Mar-a-Lago limbo. Uh, yeah. So that's not a great subject. Could be kept below. Should be kept below the president's level. Apparently, Nielsen wanted to organize a cabinet meeting just to discuss a strategy for preventing additional Russian meddling in 2020. And uh, three senior administration officials and one former administration official described to the Times, New York Times, Nielsen's frustration at the lack of progress and what she considered to be a serious security issue. Uh, In a related story, the FBI will meet with Senator Rick Scott and Governor DeSantis of Florida, DeClantis, in the coming weeks to discuss suspicion that Russians hacked at least one county in Florida during the 2016 election. If you recall, both Scott and DeSantis denied that any hacking took place. Not in our backyard. (laughs) Nothing weird ever happens in Florida. Not on my watch. (laughs) Um, But Mueller's report says otherwise. Uh, So now this, uh, uh, the two scrotes here are pissed. Uh, DeSantis and uh, Rick Scott, they're pissed. We're calling them scrotes now. Uh, instead nice. of pussies, right? Yeah, yeah, the scrotes. scrotes. Cool band name. Because they're sensitive. Mm-hmm. It is, right? Yeah. The scrotes. <laughs> so they're pissed that they've been kept out of the loop. Um, it's your state. What the fuck kept out of the loop? No. <laughs> and last week, <laughs> Scott wrote a letter to Christopher Ray asking for any information the FBI has on Mueller's findings. Um, when incumbent Florida Senator Democrat Bill Nelson made a similar statement last year, Rick Scott demanded proof, calling Nelson irresponsible uh, and state officials say they basically don't believe Mueller and could not verify the information with the FBI. Yeah, Scott and DeSantis probably also had chiefs of staff that were telling people to keep it below their belts. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if Mick Mulvaney was theirs. <laughs> it kind of makes you wonder how Scott and DeSantis won their elections. Mm-hmm. You know, why don't they want you to know that counties were hacked? Hmm. 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 <laughs> uh, let's see. This week, a lot of stuff went down with the National Rifle Association. Uh, this week, Jordan... You will have that for us in Hot Notes. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. imploding, and it is so so so, so, so sweet. It's sweet yes. to watch. Pew, pew. Sorry, yes. I had like a stroke moment. Oh, it's okay. Reading the NRA and stuff will do that to you. Guns don't yeah. kill people. People kill people. But as Eddie Izzard says, I think the gun helps. <laughs> uh, and Elliot <laughs> Brody. made me do it. <laughs> yeah, you can't, he yeah. says, you can't just walk up to someone and go, poo, poo, pew, bang, 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 and expect much to happen. You know, yeah. the, the gun helps. I think Chris Rock has a bit or something about like 
someone trying to go in with a knife and like do like a mass a mass murder situation was like see how far they get yes he also has a bit about how if we made bullets really expensive it'd be harder for like poor people to commit crimes he'd be yeah. like man i'll pop a cap in your ass as soon as my check comes <laughs> yeah. i got you like a five thousand yeah. dollars bullet you're a dead man in two weeks yeah <laughs> <laughs> cooling off period by charging yeah. seven thousand yes. dollars for a bullet um <laughs> so funny <laughs> So the NRA news is really, it's, it's, the, it's the bright spot in an otherwise dismal week. Definitely. Uh, Elliot Broidy was back in the news Thursday when the Daily Beast reported that a former business associate of Broidy and Republican fundraiser named Lisa Korbatov uh, has spoken with the FBI about his business dealings and his participation in the Trump inaugural fund. Mm. According to an individual familiar with the case, she is expected to be further interviewed by prosecutors from Justice's Department Washington headquarters in the upcoming months. She is the first of Broidy's former business associates known to have spoken with the FBI, though at least one of his allies and also former deputy finance chair for the RNC, Steve Wynn, is cooperating with investigators as they scrutinize Broidy. Did she come forward on her own or did they send out, did the investigator send out feelers or something to people around him? Doesn't say, but she's cooperating. Hmm. I'm assuming they came to her. Yeah. Um, one of the prosecutors in the case is also looking into his work with one MDB, which we were just talking about with Jolo, where Broidy was apparently offered about $75 million if he could somehow get the president to shut down the investigation into one MDB. So put some beans on an obstruction of justice indictment for Elliot Broidy. He's the guy who paid a Playboy Playmate $1.6 million to get an abortion and keep her quiet. That's the one where we all thought he was taking the bullet for Trump, who mm-hmm. we thought was actually the culprit, but there's no proof of that. Still got some loose beans on that. Yeah. Rogue beans. Uh, Rogue beans. <laughs> $1.6 million. I guess now Republicans have been pigeonholed into putting value on a human life. Yeah. Mm. So Just to use their own thing against them. Yep. Exactly. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, to be yes, clear. I'm very pro-choice. <laughs> And uh, speaking of paying women to touch your man parts, Robert Kraft popped up on our radars this week when I learned that his lawyer in the Cindy Yang case is William Burke. That's the same lawyer used by Priebus Bannon and Don McGahn in the Mueller investigation. And it appears prosecutors are going after the women in this case. While Kraft is charged with only two counts of soliciting prostitution, four women have been arrested in the case and are being charged with dozens of counts of prostitution, renting a space for prostitution, deriving funds from prostitution, and running a house of prostitution. Assistant State Attorney Greg Kredos, Kredos, uh, he has decided not to investigate human trafficking in this case and appears to be going hard after the women. Uh, earlier, he offered Kraft a deal that said he'd get no jail time if he just said he did it. And Kraft refused, lawyering up with Burke. And I bet good money he'll get a sweetheart deal just like Epstein got from current Labor Secretary Alex Acosta, which was also a Florida case. He was U.S. attorney, though. Uh, and he's still working in, in the Trump administration, despite having been found to have broken the law during that case by not telling Epstein's victims about the deal he was making with Epstein as the law requires. What a cool dude. <laughs> Guys, those are the facts. We'll be right back with hot notes about the NRA, Maria Butna, and Trump's determination to block all congressional inquiries since the Mueller report dropped. Hey guys, this is AG, and I want to tell you about Noom. We're at the end of April now, and if this were any other year, I would have abandoned my resolutions to be healthier by now. Noom knows that sticking to a weight loss plan can be hard, but not because we don't know what we're supposed to do. It's because of thoughts and obstacles that can hold us back from making progress. There are so many things about Noom that I love. First, everything I need to stay on track is all in one place. It's super convenient. There's a food log, a step counter, an exercise tracker, personal coach, a community of users for support, uh, a nutrition guide, and that's just all in one app. 
And I used to have to get like five different apps for all that, so the convenience makes it really easy to use and I love it. So a few months ago I wanted to lose maybe like 15 pounds, but more importantly I really wanted to change my eating habits. And it's been five months now, I've lost 17 pounds, um, and I've learned about intermittent fasting through Noom. Uh, they go through all different kinds of, you know, eating habits and what might work best for you and your schedule. They tailor it right to you. And that's been working really well for me. And again, most helpful are all the tricks and tips. And Jordan, you were saying that you love the food log. Yeah, I love the food log. I love how extensive their database is because I've tried other apps and it's like you're searching for a certain food and you have to always wind up inputting it manually and putting in all of the nutrition facts and the calories. And the Noom database just has so much of that stuff already in there and it makes it very quick and super easy to keep on track yeah because that's that's one of the main problems with those food logs like you said you just have to add it's like so manual but this is this because it you know uses the data from all of the input from all of the users it's got this massive awesome database so and it doesn't have to be about weight loss Noom is awesome for developing healthy habits uh, learning about how to build a better relationship with food or just how to overcome the obstacles that can set you back uh, you can jump online take their 30 second evaluation to see what your goals would look like and sign up for your trial at Noom that's n-o-o-m dot com slash a-g what do you have to lose visit noom.com slash ag to start your trial today again that's noom.com and jumpstart your health plan today all right welcome back hot notes all right guys in hot notes today uh, jordan has some really great stuff about the nra but first jaleesa What's going on with Bootna? Yes, so on Friday, beans did come true. Maria Bootna, a.k.a. the Devil's Mermaid, thank you, Jordan, was sentenced to 18 months in prison on conspiracy charges. So basically, prosecutors got exactly what they wanted. And as far as the defense's argument that Bootna was just a naive foreign exchange college student whose only crime was loving Russia too much, well, the <laughs> judge was not buying that. And Bootna may be the most adorable Russian spy you've ever seen, but she's still a Russian spy nonetheless. And what she did is... Uh, she basically, she she organized a trip in 2015 where senior NRA officials partied in Moscow, probably where all that blackmail material came from. And she also hosted friendship dinners between Russians and Republicans, which sounds deceptively cute. Yeah, like, did they make bracelets for each other? Yeah. Like those little safety pins with beads? Right, pillow talk. Like, I don't know. It seems really cute. Um, at one point, she even suggested that Russians had an influence over who Trump picked for secretary of state. And she did it without going through the proper State Department checkpoints, which is obviously bad for national security. But Bootin's lawyers were like, nah, bro, she's just a normal college student who likes to take selfies with Republicans and guns. <laughs> Your Honor, she was only doing it for the gram. I rest my case. Kidding. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this judge was not having it. And Bootin, she'll do a total of 18 months in jail. However, she'll also get credit for the nine months she's already served. And after that, she'll be deported back under the sea. I mean, back to <laughs> Russia. <laughs> and here are my Bootin beans. So maybe instead of wishing for human legs, she should have just kept her tail and wish for a time machine because that way she could choose to not be a Russian spy, never have to pretend to love Paul Erickson and find her real Prince Eric and live happily ever after singing love songs with Sebastian and Flounder. Yes. Yeah, I didn't see the movie, but I did some research. Oh, that so, sounds uh, right. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, you sound well like done, you know yeah. what you're talking about. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's very elaborate Little Mermaid reference. Um, you got to bat your eyes. Yeah. I'm sure <laughs> that your mean, lips like means these. something, yeah. I'm all for it. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, basically, Putin is fucked. Putin's really upset about it, and justice was served. So hell yeah, cool. And what? And there was something about um, Barr didn't want her to go, oh. or wanted her to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, 
he was trying to get her to to stick around or not to basically to deport her immediately and 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 he was pushing for time Which served. Is really interesting. Maybe he's because he's Trump's guy and Putin's clearly outraged by all of this. They're trying to get her back to Russia ASAP instead yeah. of having to do nine more months. And or she also, has information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they don't want the Congress to be able to call her to testify. Good point. Uh, because if she's here, they can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they should. Yeah. Hear me, Nadler? Schiff? <laughs> do it. Totally. Yeah, yes. well, interesting, Putin. Mm, if you missed our uh, little musical, you can check out our, our Devil's Beans. Mermaid Daily mm-hmm. Beans that we put out mm-hmm. yesterday. Yeah. You should check it out. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a really funny discussion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, speaking of uh, the Devil's Mermaid, something's, uh, the NRA is uh, coming apart at the seams, and I love it. Yeah, they really are. So a few things happened this week with them. So first off, their president, Oliver North, has effectively been forced out of re-election. Uh, this means that his term is going to end on Monday, and he'll, he's no longer going to be the leader of this melting witch of an organization. They are not they are not having a good time right now. On Thursday, NRA chief executive Wayne LaPierre accused North of trying to remove LaPierre from the NRA by means of extortion and threatening to release damaging information about LaPierre and his finances, as well, among other things, too. There's some like sexual harassment allegations against one of the staff members in the NRA apparently that he was like threatening to release so North Effect no the head of the (laughs) NRA harassed someone sexually well I don't know I don't think it was against LaPierre I think it was just against another staff member someone at the NRA (laughs) harassed somebody sexually yeah exactly (laughs) Uh, so North effectively wrote a resignation letter even though he's not being nominated anyway so I don't know how much of a resignation that is it's kind of like bye guys I'm leaving and they're like yeah we know Don't don't let the Uzi hit you on the way out buddy nice. have a good life but in the letter north said the nra needs to establish a committee to look over their finances because their finances constitute a clear crisis and need to be dealt with if the organization is to continue he says and north is also worried that they might lose their nonprofit status which uh, oh, no. yeah yeah which also might could be right taxes. As, right they're worried that they might get found out because <laughs> we know that they are not a nonprofit. Um, They're on to us. Yes, yes. As is the case of many nonprofits because shit's fucked. Did you hear that the Church of Satan got a nonprofit exempt status Yay. this week? And they've, and they've come out and said, no, we're going to pay our taxes. Oh, wow. my God. That's such an alpha move. Because Satan pays his taxes. <laughs> I dig it. Hail Satan. Much respect. Oh, my I know, gosh. right? High five. Yeah. I love that. High five the devil. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so one of the financial dis- do it. <laughs> 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 yes, <laughs> um, one of the troubling financial decisions that North br- brings up in the letter is when apparently Lapierre spent two hundred thousand dollars on wardrobe purchases and charged them to a vendor. And what is it with these criminals and excessive spending on? threads and they still look like shit <laughs> yes all these white collar criminals keep going down on account of their lizard jackets it's a it's a suit like how what the mm. yeah i know yeah save a lizard uh ride a cowboy yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say in prison the reform but... yeah <laughs> <laughs> hashtag not on republicans yeah. but yeah, yeah you get it <laughs> Um, and, oh my God. and so the NRA also claimed in an update to a lawsuit against okay so this is there's a lot of shit going on one of the things though that seems to be at the center of this is there's a lawsuit that the NRA is bringing against one of their advertising vendors named Ackerman McQueen and the lawsuit that they're bringing is that number one they are basically saying like they don't think that they got charged appropriately from this vendor and they're also saying that North double dipped by taking salary from this firm for work that he was doing with them and then also from the NRA. 
Okay, so they're suing North back, or at least they're suing the advertising agency back and trying to slam North in it. Right. And and just so everybody knows, Oliver North was uh, part of the cover up in the, during Iran Contra. He testified. Yeah. I was I'm old enough to remember him testifying in his uniform, mm-hmm. uh, and he pretty much just said, "I don't recall 800 times." Uh, that that's the Oliver North we're talking about here. And so, if you've ever dreamed of getting to see Oliver North testify to Congress again. <laughs> Your dreams may come true. Yeah, I'm too young. It's like one of those memes, like, if she's too young to remember Oliver North testifying, she's too young for you. <laughs> but, um, if you don't like me at my Oliver North, you can't have me exactly. at my Iran-Contra. <laughs> I wanted to tweet, like, oh, what is Oliver Twist testifying about? But, like, <laughs> I just didn't want to Please be that lame sir, ass. Please, can I have some more? Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> God. They're in such disarray. Yeah. Um, also, just to live fact check myself, they're not... Oliver North is not being sued himself. It's it's against Ackerman McQueen, right, but he's the, but they're calling him out for it's that. The in ad the agency, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right, and then shortly after all of this North stuff went down, the NRA's longtime attorney Steve Hart was suspended. So that's another big piece of institutional the NRA's knowledge. attorney was suspended. Yeah, one of a really longtime attorney, Steve Hart. Yeah, like by and, like by hooks. But what does that mean? Like suspended in the air. Oh. <laughs> Suspended from being their counsel. That's awesome. What yeah. do you do? Yeah, I don't know. Nice. Probably yeah. ethical, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm sure he's totally above board. He's probably sexually harassed people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, one would... I mean, my beans would be on... There's obviously a major riff happening within the NRA right now because there's a, a differing in directions and how they should cover their ass as they're all sort of imploding, I think. So mm-hmm. it's kind mm-hmm. of just all of this shit happening and going everywhere. Dude, that much heated tension with guns? Like, I don't want to know. Yeah. Like, how that's going to go down. Yeah. And, like, with, with this lawsuit against Ackerman McQueen, I don't know how much of it was originated with the purpose of getting north or if it was, like, something that just kind of came about from it and they're really milking it because this guy also tried to extort their CEO. <laughs> yeah, or which came first? Did this lawsuit come and then North said, you know what, I'm going to tell everybody about your bullshit finances. Who knows what came first? Right. Yeah, definitely. I'll have more beans on this as mm-hmm. uh, as it develops. And, but then, hours after all this drama happened, the New York AG, Letitia James, officially opened up an official probe officially opened up an official probe into the NRA and their finances. Uh, We don't have a lot of details on that as of now, but we do know that she was talking about being very committed to holding them accountable and making sure they're being transparent in their nonprofit status. So it can be assumed that what she's doing is trying to basically look into whether or not they are nonprofit. I don't (laughs) think she believes that they are, and she wants to get down to the bottom of it. And Apparently, it's looking like this lawsuit that we were talking about came about from the NRA anticipating her looking into them. Oh, wow. And so they were trying to look into all their finances. They saw that something was going on with North and this company potentially. And so that's where that lawsuit ultimately (laughs) came from. Interesting. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and that all comes on the heels of Gifford's uh, organization with CRU, the Mm -hmm. Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, suing the FEC. Uh, to about the fact that they aren't going fast enough or looking hard enough at the fact that uh, the NRA made 10,000 times the, about 9,000 something times the, the amount you're allowed to donate to Trump by using a series of shell companies and named after probably Home Depot mm-hmm. paint chips. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sally, so shell companies by the seashore. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully uh, Letitia James can pull that all together uh, into one nice big fat delicious investigation <laughs> in New York State that Barr can't oversee or yeah. block or anything. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Motherfuckers. <laughs> 
put that in your gun and fire it. Nice. Thank you, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, With the chicken and the egg coming out, it's like, maybe it could be like, which came first, the chicken shit or the egg? I don't know. Do we like Oliver North? No, he's an asshole. Some would right? argue eggs are I don't think anyone shit. likes oh. Oliver North at okay. or us. Even his kids, probably. Yeah, we'll find out. Yeah, he was weird. Um... Uh, although a lot of people would say he came out later and was like a patriot or whatever. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Weak. <laughs> <laughs> Weak sauce. Um, and I think that, you know, with the NRA going down, this might be a good time to bring up the shooting that happened uh, in our basically backyard here in San Diego in Poway uh, at a synagogue. Um, very, yeah. very troubling. Very sad. Uh, and that, I mean, it's it's pretty fresh. Uh, it's still all over the news. We're very close to it, too. Yeah, we're all still processing it, for sure. But they did come out with the um, identity of the, the one victim. Her name was uh, Lori Gilbert Kay. Mm-hmm. She actually um, was shot while protecting the rabbi. Yeah, she took yeah, a she bullet for the rabbi, him. who mm-hmm. still got his fingers shot off, yes. I think. Mm-hmm. Or a, one or many, if not all. Yeah, definitely uh, injured, but alive. and Got shot in the hand. Yeah, yeah. And continued, I think, his sermon. Or continue to help keep everyone calm in the room from reports that I've been hearing. Um, but yeah, and I'm not going to name the guy, mm-hmm. um, the shooter, but he is a white supremacist. Yeah, no doubt this is a hate crime. And it's at the point where, you know, we wake up and we see these headlines and we're like, really? Again? And mm-hmm. it's it's just insanity. It, it's like the fact that the NRA is even fighting for their guns to, you know, I guess, okay, some people want to protect themselves but that i mean the idea of being based in fear when you see these people that weren't doing anything that you know they shouldn't have to protect themselves and they're being killed like why can't you just see that it's probably worth giving up a little bit of the not just your guns itself but like just the ar-15 style guns sure that definitely but just some of the um you know the the ways that it's accessible like if you you have yours and you're good then fine what are you worried about you know and i've and i've said it before and i'll say it again if you need an ar-15 for protection at home you suck at shooting and you should probably think of a different hobby Mm -hmm. because you suck at aiming yes Uh, i can get it done with a 40 if you you know like (laughs) I, i actually turned my glock in when a couple shootings ago i was like i can't fucking deal with this wow. I, I don't want anybody to have guns i'm giving my gun up so i, I handed it over to the sheriff damn and I'm, I'm honestly i would want a gun in my own home like something to protect myself but i wouldn't want to do anything that could contribute to things like this and and so yeah, yeah if we can take away like the semi-automatic weapons or just make it harder for people to get these things like i'm all for it like but they're so like adamant about how that's not what they think we should do and we shouldn't discuss it you know in a gun control conversation because they're not related like what the fuck well they for some reason they feel like their second amendment rights cannot and should not be limited but they are that's why you're not allowed to have a fully automatic weapon Mm -hmm. that's why you're not allowed to have nuclear weapons that's why you're not allowed to have short guided shoulder rocket launchers rpgs i think they're called Mm -hmm. Uh, rocket rocket propelled grenades right uh, right or uzi like you you there's a reason that there are some limits on this and and if you think that you and your shotgun are going to rise up against our government's tanks you're wrong right that's not what the well-regulated militia means uh and it's also not 1776 anymore so there are there is room constitutionally and and there's precedent in law that says that these things can be limited and I think we need to limit them. We have to have universal background checks. I mean, I'm, we're pe- preaching to the choir here. Of yeah, course, absolutely. echo chamber, but I mean, it's it's what I believe in and I, I wish that we could just convince the people that are in charge, you know? 
Yeah, I think too. What really what really hit me is that it happened in California, which we've already had horrifying shootings happen in California too. But there's something about the proximity you can, like, as soon as I heard the news, I just started like crying hysterically because mm-hmm. it's like you can like feel that empathically that it happened literally in our backyard. Yeah, and it's so terrifying because we know this reality. We live in such a bubble of like love and progressiveness and and just like good people Mm -hmm. and then for that to just so quickly slam you in the face that these people are 20 minutes away 30 seconds away all around us all the time apparently Mm -hmm. yeah it's just so fucking horrible yeah and And on the last day of passover so it's obviously so targeted and then did you see trump's interview when he was walking out and they caught him in his getting on a helicopter interview that he always does and he said like of course, he's like, oh, this is horrible. It's, it looks like it's being investigated as a hate crime. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. What? And and I I know he said he's not saying that, like, I don't believe it. Oh, but he's saying, like, I can't it's believe hard. this happened. I mean, I think he's saying just it's hard to believe that, that this would, happened. Yes. He's, he's kind of his language is the one that promotes this kind of exactly. thing. Or allows, gives, gives it space. Exactly. But the, uh, the other thing is, is that it's not hard to believe Good at all. Point. So him saying that is so incredibly tone deaf, number one. And number two comes off as, in, in another sense, potentially just incredibly disrespectful, you know, saying something like that. And then immediately after... He says that the next sentence, he's like, I'm on my way to go to a rally. People have been lined up for over a day to see me. Mm-hmm. It's just like so fucking awful. Yeah, I feel like we're living in a dream. And I know a lot of people have said this, too. But it's like moments like this. I feel like it really just doesn't make any sense that our president would react that way. Um, there's a really big problem going on and I can't, I can't figure out. It's like this huge shift in like, like the echo chamber ideology. Like I believe that this is a good choir to preach to, but the other guys, they're also preaching to themselves and I don't agree with what they're preaching. So it's like, we're in a scary time. We're very divided and people are dying every weekend. It's like every day. I mean, you know, all the time, but like these massive hate crimes, like this is insane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know what to say. Yeah. Yeah. No, human life isn't worth you being able to have an AR-15. Not at all. Sorry, not yeah. sorry. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for that um, reporting on the NRA. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping they're in their death throes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Seriously. Yeah, and shout out to all of the activists who have like persevered through gun violence and those who have it and our allies and everything because it absolutely makes a difference. They're yeah. under such intense scrutiny right now that they only are facing ultimately, I think, because of Parkland and and all the other gun shooting survivors and allies that have come out. So. Yes, absolutely. (sighs) All right. I'm going to pivot here, uh, kind of, because this week Trump said some other crazy shit, including calling Mueller's investigation an attempted coup, uh, and then pivoting to defend his statements about there being good people on both sides after the white power rally in Charlottesville, saying, you know, there were good folks defending the statue of Robert E. Lee. And then Trump called him one of the great generals. You might not like it, but Robert E. Lee was one of the great generals. And he's somebody who staged an actual coup to overthrow the United States government during the Civil War. Another general that comes to mind this week uh, from the Confederacy is General Jackson, nicknamed Stonewall Jackson because he beat back an onslaught of Union soldiers during the first Battle of Bull Run. And now Trump, who praises Confederate generals while calling investigations into himself attempted coups, Uh, could easily earn the same nickname. 
Since the redacted Mueller report came out a week ago, Trump has vowed to block every single request for information, witnesses, witness testimony, and subpoenas coming from Congress in what Elijah Cummings, the Democratic chair of the House Oversight Committee, called a massive, unprecedented, and growing pattern of obstruction. Just this week, Carl Klein, the guy who's handing out security clearances for Trump like candy, defied a congressional subpoena by failing to appear at a hearing to discuss the security clearance concerns. And in a little side note, um, we all in the government got a note that uh, Trump is taking security clearance um, background investigations out of the Office of Personnel Management and putting it to the DOD. It's ridiculous. Militarizing them. And this is incidentally where Klein now works. (laughs) Uh, so he's basically trying to remove opposition to him awarding security clearances to people. Exactly. Uh, and there is no Secretary of Defense to put him in check either. Also this week, Trump sued the House Oversight Committee and Elijah Cummings personally in a bid to block their subpoena for Trump's financial records. And the White House has written a few letters to the Treasury to block the congressional request for Trump's tax returns from the IRS. Elijah Cummings has since postponed the friendly subpoena to Mazar's tax firm for Trump's financials, though Deutsche Bank has handed over multiple documents in the New York State investigation into Trump's finances. Um, And so the Mazar's friendly subpoena, basically, uh, Elijah Cummings has said, or it might have been Nadler, he's like, we'll just let the courts hash this out, right? Mm -hmm. And speaking of the IRS, we found out this week that the commissioner of the IRS, Charles Reddick, uh, Trump-installed guy, earns as much of a, as a million dollars in rental income from Trump-branded properties he co-owns, and the IRS has already missed two deadlines to hand over tax returns to the House Ways and Means Committee under current law. Though now 18 states are working on legislation to require a presidential and vice presidential candidate to release their taxes to be able to appear on the election ballot. Hmm. That would be cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of those have passed yet, but they're in, in the works. The White House also blocked Stephen Miller from testifying about Trump's immigration policy. On Wednesday, the Justice Department said John Gore would defy a subpoena to testify on Thursday about the addition of a citizenship question to the 2020 census. And White House lawyers indicated they would tell Don McGahn and other former officials not to comply with subpoenas for their testimony. All told, the events of this week indicate Trump's unwillingness to comply with congressional requests. And this could all be seen as obstruction of justice. It is, in fact, one of the articles of impeachment for Nixon. It was about this exact thing, you know, defying congressional inquiries to hand over documents and get witness testimony mm-hmm. and tapes and shit like that. Yeah. But as we've discussed, Trump could be pushing the Dems toward impeachment on purpose, as he might see this as his best worst option. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and get this just in today from The Washington Post. The House and Maine Justice are in an apparent standoff over the terms of Barr's planned testimony before the House Judiciary and Senate Judiciary this week, indicating the hearings might not take place at all. A senior Democratic aide has said that if Barr refuses to testify, he may face a subpoena. Barr is set to testify in the Senate Judiciary on Wednesday of this week and the House Judiciary on Thursday about the Mueller report. But the Department of Justice has objected to Democrats' proposal of permitting extended questioning, uh, including by the committee's lawyers, and Barr is threatening to withdraw his testimony over it. (laughs) A Justice Department official has said that their position is that Barr agreed to appear before Congress so the members are the ones who should do the questioning, not their fancy lawyers. (laughs) Uh, Not like um, what Christine Blase Ford faced. Uh, from their little questioner lady. Right. Uh, in addition to extended questioning requests uh, requested by the committee because of Barr's propensity for filibustering each five-minute block of questions, Democrats also wanted to reserve the right to vote to have Barr participate in a closed-door session following his public testimony to address questions about redacted portions of the Mueller report. But Barr's team objected to that as well and, and threatened that he would back out. Uh, one of the aides uh, said, um, 
quote, the chutzpah of telling us how the hearing is going to be structured and then threatening to walk goes directly to our working thesis that Barr is interested in carrying water for the president, but not interested in providing answers to the public. So what happens if all these requests that are being denied and defied go through the court system, uh, even if it's quick and Congress wins in court? Let's say the House Dems win. It's conceivable that Trump could continue not to comply. Um, first, a court fight could grind on for years. For example, during the Obama administration, the Obama administration balked at a criminal contempt citation passed by the House Republicans against Eric Holder. At the time, Holder was withholding documents during the House investigation into Fast and Furious. Mm -hmm. That was a probe alleging that weapons had been turned over to Mexican drug cartel leaders in a botched sting operation. <laughs> After two years of fighting it in the courts, a judge eventually denied the House's attempt to, have hold, to hold Holder in contempt. Mm -hmm. But if the Democrats follow through with the court battles, the House must ask the Department of Justice to enforce compliance if they win. And that's not likely to happen. Yeah. Barr Trump, could just ignore it. Yep, yeah. he has that in his pocket. The Dems could try to impeach Barr, but they would need a two-thirds in the turtle dick Mitch McConnell Senate to accomplish that. There's no way. And it's unlikely, considering Mitch's involvement in taking over $7 million in pro-Russian money during the 2016 election, not to mention the zillion-dollar aluminum plant being built in his home state of Kentucky, funded in part by the Russian aluminum country. 64 uh, split. The Russian <laughs> aluminum... Um, company owned by Oleg Deripaska, who McConnell voted to lift sanctions on despite the Russians sweeping and systematic interference in our 2016 election. No conflict of interest there. Yeah. Uh, the clear remedies here, guys, are public hearings, whether you call it a, a, an impeachment inquiry or a public hearing, uh, a probably failed impeachment attempt, which I don't think would harm Democrats at all. Uh, in fact, it might drive Trump so nuts he just goes off the deep end mm. and we just have to vote them all out in 2020 we have to put a we have to put a blue senate we have to flip the senate we yeah 32 senate seats are up for re-election in 2020 yeah i mean i know a lot of those are deep red but hell i'll canvas in a deep red yep county so, yeah yeah we importante to vote and everybody get behind the dumb candidate and mm -hmm. vote down the ticket show up um, yeah and do what you can um very important because what this news is essentially saying is that this could take years the uh, congressional investigations and even if they win Barr could ignore it yeah yeah mm -hmm. it we might. gotta do as much as we can put our eggs in multiple baskets here yeah that's why i'm really rooting for tish james in new york mm -hmm. um, she's amazing and all the other state attorneys general who were investigating these things stay on it definitely um, yeah keep, keep doing the thing with the <laughs> eric holder thing i understand not wanting to essentially comply with a very obviously partisan request for him to come before them i i get that but just to not invoke any sort of a double standard i feel like that's kind of a bad precedent to set to not do that mm -hmm. you know because i guess if you're i don't know I get it. I get why that happened under the Obama administration, but then I'm very... I like, guess, but why not just show up and exa testify? Exactly. Even though I know it's bullshit and it's kind of like the whole not negotiating with a terrorist kind of thing. Right. It's still better than not showing up. Imagine if Hillary didn't show up for the Benghazi. That's what I was thinking when, when yeah. uh, Hillary had to testify about her emails for 11 hours. Yep. Like, we know it was dumb. We know it was torture for her. defied? But if she didn't, it would have been way worse. Definitely. Mm -hmm. What if she just said, no, not coming. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah, it's a good parallel. Yeah, good point. I, I I I thought of that. I was like, oh, can you even imagine mm -hmm. if uh, 
the filler was like nah yeah i'd love to see some movies come out of this where like alternate realities where trump wasn't elected or hillary won like all kinds of different things like and an inglorious bastards for yeah yeah maybe i'll make them i don't know we'll use see. that maria boot in a time machine oh yeah <laughs> nice callback thanks <laughs> all right guys you ready for sabotage yes <laughs> All right, so a crazy story came out in the Washington Post Friday about pretty much outlining Rosenstein's role in the Mueller investigation. We get some clarity on kind of how Rosenstein operates. The headline reads, How Rosenstein Tried to Mollify Trump, Protect Mueller, and Save His Job. Uh, This comes on the heels of a speech he gave Thursday night uh, where he hammered some rule of law themes, including the importance of government existing to serve the people and that everyone is entitled to uh, the protections of the rule of law. So one read uh, of this of this Washington Post article, according to Joyce Vance, is that Rosenstein was doing everything he could to let Mueller finish. But there's a there's a more sinister possibility that Rosenstein did something that no prosecutor should ever do, saying that he was on the team of the subject of the investigation. Also very odd that Rosenstein quoted Donald Trump Thursday night in his speech when he was trying to get uh, like on the rule of law like Mm -hmm. donald trump says this about the rule of law and you're like who the what uh the way i read it is the same way john heilman reads it um he says rosenstein survived by kissing donald trump's ass and someone else said rosenstein's weakness is his weakness i love that one i do too um was he trying to protect Mueller or trying to make himself more central to the investigation or just sort of sticking his dick where it didn't belong um which happens a lot um (laughs) In the Trump administration? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it shows that he's willing to do some wildly inappropriate shit. Uh, quote, on multiple occasions, Rosenstein assured Trump he was not a target. He told him he was being treated unfairly. Uh, and now he's standing behind Barr, signing off on everything he has said. And he's citing Trump on the rule of law and criticizing the Obama administration and the media. Uh, he's moved from Snoop Dag to full-blown Trump sycophant, in my opinion. Um I don't want to call him Snoop Dogg anymore. I think uh, he's just a masochist. Apparently, <laughs> when he was called into the chief of staff's office after after the whole reporting came out about McCabe's contemporaneous notes that he said he was going to wear a wire, mm-hmm. uh, which McCabe still stands behind and, and told several officials about. Uh, then the chief of staff wanted to talk to Rosenstein after that reporting came out, and apparently Rosenstein was teary-eyed, Aww. getting ready to go into that meeting, like oh, I fucked up. <laughs> um, what a what a scrot. Yes. Yeah, totally. Sorry. No, I just, the band. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Scroats. Yeah, I think he's like some combination of like a lily-livered chameleon mm-hmm. and also someone that is still a piece of shit. Yeah. Because again, sometimes we forget that these people are still kind of POSs. I mean, chameleon and lizard, is that the thing? Yeah. Like, yeah okay. Change your like colors. Because yeah. yeah. he looked like he wanted to change, like blend into the background during that press conference, but it wasn't working. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's trying real hard. <laughs> he definitely had chameleon eyes. <laughs> yeah. Comey yeah, pulls it off better. Yeah. yeah. It didn't blink for like 28 seconds or yeah, something. Exactly. Everyone's like having like personal staring contests <laughs> right. with Rosenstein. Like, I was just staring back video. at him. I was like, dude, what is this? <laughs> like, wh- what is life? It was almost like, yeah, what is life? It was almost like when uh, the human dildo testified, Ma- Matthew fucking Whitaker <laughs> Like just barrels of sweat coming yeah. off of his fucking head. They all uh, have nervous tics for uh, sure. Yeah. 
laughing. <laughs> well, <laughs> that'd be me. I'd be cackling. I've been told I sound like a, a stoned hyena when I laugh. And oh, it's worse when laugh. I'm nervous. Oh, thanks, guys. Your laugh. laugh is gold. Appreciate I'm going to bring you to but shows just so you laugh at my jokes. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, it's the best feeling in the world when yeah. you can hear Julissa laughing. <laughs> it's like the most supportive fe- sounding laugh. That is it's so sweet. That's yeah. a good laugh. You are. It's a cradling um, laugh. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like I feel like he basically is is so incredibly unprofessional and oh. so unable to just get through that position with any sort of string of consistency mm-hmm. backbone is <laughs> just like i mean i get wanting to protect the Mueller probe but but but, but uh, uh, trump though? but telling trump he's not a target and he agrees he's being treated unfairly and f that Mueller guy and i'm with you pal high fives my tiny hands you know you just <laughs> I would Trump high, doesn't high five people because it would show right how feel like a hand are. hug kind of situation. <laughs> Don't show my hands. Um, but you know, it's just that that's not the way you go about that. I mean, I guess in the end, like maybe history might look back and say, "Hey, you know, you subjugated yourself like a prone ass chicken mm-hmm. to protect the Mueller report. Great job." Or, or it could be looked back upon like you were a self serving a hole who said really inappropriate things to the president. Um, you know, it could. It's kind of a both yeah. situation. I'm. I'm not sure though. But this kind of this article, you should check it out. It shed a lot of light onto. I feel like uh, Homie's been, Homie Comey's been criticized for for more, and I know they both have done consequential things. But what McCabe, McCabe sorry, I love McCabe. Uh, what Rosenstein is doing right now is is really bad. Like it's having huge consequences, covering all of this up. Um, and so I feel like he should get the. I guess scrutiny that he deserves. Like people seem to be kind of on the fence about it. I feel like if he really gave a shit about justice, he would have resigned in protest when Barr came out and did his bullshit dance. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally. would have if I cared about the rule of law or what the Department of Justice would end up looking like or becoming. If I mm-hmm. gave a shit about the Wesovall of Twelst, <laughs> I would have been like the fuck out. I'd been like, peace. I'm. You're a dick. Right. You look like the Easter Bunny standing next to Trump. <laughs> he does. Oh my God, with the glasses. Yeah, he it. reminds me of a of a more like word vomity Paul Ryan. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, Paul Ryan, I like forgot. an adult Paul Ryan. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> an adult. Paul Ryan. Well, because Paul Ryan would just—I mean, like you wouldn't really catch him so much in saying sentiments that were aligned with complete opposite sides of the spectrum. He more so just wouldn't stand up for things that mm-hmm. were obviously. A violation of yeah. ethics and he the worked Republican out so Party much, but he could just not yeah. work up the courage. Yeah, just... yeah. If you can imagine a, a more spineless Paul Ryan, exactly. Yeah. You've got so yes. buff, so spiny little Rosenstein, right? And one that just like speaks without thinking mm-hmm. in these scenarios. You yeah. don't say those things in a vacuum. Everyone's documenting them and remembering. Exactly. Them. What an idiot. I'd rather a scrawny guy with a backbone than a buff little piece cry- of shit. <laughs> yeah, cry dude. Like, should I wear a wire? Mm-hmm. And then when everyone finds out. I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah. Trump I, is the man. I love Trump. Yeah. I get that these things are hard and shit's mm. fucked up, so get out then. Yeah. yeah that's so cool because I used to be uh, with the Occupy, Occupy movement and I had a protest sign that was just shit's fucked up and bullshit. And <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Shit's fucked up and bullshit. Exactly. Just took like me it. back just now. Yeah. I like it. That's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> shit's fucked up and bullshit. Totally. I do. I like it. It reminded me of a, of a, of a sign I made to take to a baseball game. Uh, back when <laughs> oh I'm so curious this now is totally <laughs> nothing to do with anything uh, but the Padres were in the World Series and mm-hmm. uh, we, we had uh, seats on the first baseline and I took a big bed sheet you know because you know, we're on the edge where the over the you know you could fr- like unfurl your bed sheet yeah and there we had a player named Ken Caminiti and everybody had a huge massive crush on this guy he crushed the ball dude he hit so hard and it was just home run after home run um, 
And so I put up this sign that said, Ken Ken Boban, Banana Fana Home Run. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm sure he appreciated it. Oh, he having a notice? Did you? Mm, no uh, idea. We didn't get on TV or anything. But uh, Well, nice thought. Best sign in the whole damn ballpark. I yeah, love it. It's, yeah. It's a good one. We should make more signs and protest together, guys. Yeah, I'll baseball do my games. Ken Ken Boban, Banana Fana Home Run, and we'll take it down to the, you nice. know, the science, March for Science or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. I'll take my protest on to the baseball game. Shit's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Bullshit. Someone's going to steal base while he's reading that. Hey. <laughs> nice. That guy was way too big to steal bases. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know how baseball works. That sounded like something that sounded like baseball. Right, things, right. But I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> baseball season means hot dog season. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. I love hot dogs. Um, <laughs> are you guys ready for the Fantasy Indictment League? Yes. I'm going to be indicted. No, wait. It's going to be a Honey, dick. Indicted! I'm gonna be indicted! Hold it, they can't. It's gonna be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm gonna be indicted! All right, it's time for the Fantasy Indictment League. I get to pick first, and my first selection is Felix Sater. Oh, that's a good one. You're sticking to it. Yeah, yeah. I am. I mean, he's gonna be on there until it happens. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna do Broidy. Broidy? Yes. Nice. He's got a lot of shit. People looking into him. Oh, definitely. These days. His kids are trying to find him. It's gonna be a hot <laughs> mess. Yeah. I'm gonna do. Um. Erickson. Paul. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think Bootna's probably mm-hmm. forked over some beans. Yeah, I think so too. I'm expecting indictments to come that are that are actually related to the Mueller probe. Yeah, there will be more. I'm, or I'm what pretty sure. stemmed from it. Yes. The Mueller babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go with Corsi. Oh, mm. bringing it back. Mm-hmm. I will take the NRA, if oh, I may. Yes. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I'm going to do... Trump inaugural. Oh, oh yeah. good one. <laughs> I'll go Assange. Ooh, yeah. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he's going to face additional uh, criminal charges for you know releasing stolen materials and that whole thing, but he could. Uh, he could be right now. Uh, well, he's not been extradited yet, but if he lies, he could be brought up on charges. That's what lies. beans are for. Yeah. I will take Weiselberg. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will take WikiLeaks. Mm. Good, good one. I'm going to go with AMI. Oh, yeah. Brittany Kaiser. Okay. She's uh, Cambridge Analytica, former CEO, Correct. one of the many. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take Ooh. Kushner. Kush. All right. That's super beans. I hate that guy. <laughs> More like just hope. I'm selecting Pecker. <laughs> I'm going to take a rando. It's been a minute. Oh, rando. Yeah, you never know. There's a lot of redactions. Yeah, there could be further Russian indictments. It's sort of indicative, and we're going to go over that in our deep dive in the Mueller report. Sweet. Good one. Can I do Carl Klein? You can. I'm going to do him. Okay. Nice. (laughs) All right. Then where are we at? That's everything, actually. That's it? That's That's all of it, yeah. Damn it, I had so many more. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, um, that is Sabotage Fantasy Indictment League. You guys, right now, uh, we have an amazing interview. I talked to David Priest. Let's check it out. Joining us today for the interview is the Chief Operating Officer of Lawfare, former CIA, Mueller Daily Briefer, and the author of How to Get Rid of a President. Please welcome back David Priest. David, how are you? Hi, Jay. It's good to be back again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I know. It's really great to have you back, at this, especially at this very kind of pivotal point in time, considering everything that you know and, and you know, all your areas of expertise. You, yeah, it's uh, been a busy one for those of us who are actually 
reading through the report and trying to to analyze it and everything. So you forgive me, I'm a little sleep deprived and I may not be as coherent as I have been before. As am I, friend. So I am with you on that. Um, and really great piece you wrote this week for Lawfare called What Mueller Got Right. And I was hoping you could go over the key points of that with us. Oh, sure. Um, and this is something that I had the honor of co-writing with General Michael Hayden, who, as you recall, had a stroke last fall and has been largely out of the public discourse since then and has only weighed in a couple of times beyond a uh, thank you tweet. And and he was back in it, had the chance to chat with him this weekend and put some thoughts together. And so we we came up with this. Basically, we were responding to people that were out there whom we respect and we often agree with on aspects of the Mueller probe and investigation overall, like Shanlin Wu at CNN and Paul Rosenzweig at the R Street Institute, who are saying things about how Mueller dropped the ball here and he did not complete his job. And in Paul's words, he chose not even to characterize the president's actions and in so doing, put the presidency over the country. Um, in fact, General Hayden and I disagree with that. We think that uh, Bob Mueller did precisely what he should have done and precisely what the country needed. He played it straight. He did not give Trump or Trump's allies any reason to say that he was showboating or going beyond his mandate. Can you imagine the furor if Bob Mueller had violated Department of Justice policy, for example, and gone against the standing guidance of not indicting a sitting president and tried to put in the report that we need to indict a man who can't even follow the instructions of the agency for which he works. Bob Mueller was working for the Department of Justice in this. He was not freelancing. Uh, that would have been fodder for the cries of witch hunt that have thankfully largely not stuck in with a lot of people up to this time. So we basically wrote that based on our very different experiences, but both intense experiences with Mueller back in the day, that this is what we expected him to do. We thought that he would stick to his mission. I think you and I have talked about that before on the pod. And we actually think it's a good thing because the things he chose not to do ended up being good to make sure that this voluminous information gets to Congress as they decide whether to open impeachment hearings and ultimately whether to impeach and possibly remove the president. Yeah, absolutely. And you and I did speak about this. We talked about him staying in his lane and how important yeah. that was. And it's precisely what is keeping everyone from yelling, stay in your lane. So Trump can call him names and use his ad hominem attacks, but he has not been able to rightfully call the scope of this out of bounds. And in fact, right. I, I think his hands are tied because he was not found to be criminally liable for the coordination or conspiracy part of this report. Yeah, for me, and I, and I will say, I respect the opinion of people who disagree on the very narrow difference here of people who say he should have used more words in his report to characterize the president's actions, to offer his prosecutorial opinion, even if he couldn't indict. I understand the point, and uh, General Hayden and I appreciate the point. Our counterpoint to that is that if he knew that he was not going to be able to indict, which is how he interpreted his mission, then he wanted to make sure that he used the opportunity of explaining his prosecution and declination decisions to get information to those who needed it. Now, according to the regulations, he's writing this, or the statute, he's writing this for the Attorney General of the United States. Bob Mueller did not want to become a political actor. That's the whole reason that for two years he has not been counterpunching the president's barbs or 
tweeting back when the president tweets something nasty about him and his team. He wanted not to be a political actor. But my experience with him and General Hayden's are that he understands the political game, even if he doesn't want to be in it, such that he knew that it would be virtually impossible for the attorney general not to send a version of this report redacted to Congress and perhaps to the public, as he did. Thus, instead of choosing a minimalist route where he merely explained the prosecutions and declinations with a sentence or two of explanation, which he easily could have done, he offered more than 400 pages mm -hmm. of explanation of material, knowing or at least having high confidence that Congress would get this information to either begin or to uh, supplement whatever they were doing with other hearings. To me, that's a good choice. And that showed that the very narrow lane he had to navigate between underperforming and going so far as to give ammunition to critics, he actually navigated that fairly well. Yeah, agreed. And, and you and I had said before that uh, we were expecting this to not be a conclusory work product. And because that's kind of how Ken Starr played it. He can't kind of came out and said, here, here are all my conclusions. And, and, uh, you know, after speaking to you, I think the very first time you came on the podcast, we were talking about how you, you know, you, you briefed him for over a year and, and what kind of man you view him as and that he would be extremely uh, conservative within the law and the rules and the, and the policy and that he would keep his scope narrow and he wouldn't be conclusory. And, and we were actually looking forward to that. Uh, and I actually think what we ended up getting, like you said, wasn't just declinations and prosecutions or, you know, or et cetera, you know, who he decided to indict and who he didn't and why. Because like you said, this could have been a 10, 15, 20 page report. It's 400 pages. It's got an entire roadmap without conclusions um, for for Congress to move forward, uh, move forward on. And I think that that helps keep his he keep keep his case bulletproof. And there was a very good reason for that, which is the perceived overreach, and that's debatable, but the perceived overreach of Ken Starr as independent counsel, well, there's a reason why the independent counsel statutes lapsed, because they were seen as flawed by having no incentive for someone not to overreach and not to reach grand conclusions. So the whole reason that we have this special counsel guidance is because of what happened then. So it would have been unlikely both by work experience and personality with uh, with former director Mueller, but also based on him following his mandate, that it would have been very odd for him to, I think, push the boundaries. Again, I do understand the argument that maybe it wasn't pushing the boundaries to offer a characterization of the president's behavior in a way that would be more firm. Where General Hayden and I came down on this is that the special counsel found a way to get hundreds of pages of information from a very intense investigation to the institution that is charged with considering the only act that can take place during a president's term, which is impeachment. Unlike him, the political actor here is the House of Representatives, and it is a political act, not a strictly criminal act, which was Mueller's turf. That seemed to us a uh, better use of this report to the attorney general and ultimately to Congress than Mueller scratching his head and searching for the perfect words to characterize the president's actions. Anyone who reads this report from beginning to end and actually analyzes it, it characterizes the president's actions just fine 
without having Muller try to put words on it himself. Yeah, you're exactly right, and I couldn't agree more, because any kind of characterization or treading into a characterization would be con- uh, perceived as political, and and uh, Muller is apolitical, 100%. Yes, and of course, this goes into the whole area of, well, where did Jim Comey go with the 2016 issues in terms of announcing the investigation, talking to Congress, going back to Congress, reopening an investigation, and then giving a statement about someone he was not charging. Well, given the whole backlash to that, it would surprise me, again, not only based on my experience with him, but it would surprise me based on the fact that Mueller would do anything to try to be an actor in this drama instead of somebody bringing the facts as objectively as could be obtained, presented as objectively as could be presented to the American people through the Congress of the United States. I think he checked that box. I think he answered the nation's call. He did what he was tasked to do. Yeah, I still want to see that uh, very late Inspector General report on the FBI New York field office, but we'll, you know, we'll get to that point. And and then that's a good point, AG, is there's other information here. We we have focused on the Mueller report. Uh, I know you haven't. You've been looking at all the investigations and many other things. But we, the American people, have perhaps unfairly yeah. elevated Robert Mueller to this position of savior, the, the knight riding in on the white stallion to save the republic. And yes, his investigation was important. His investigation was limited to criminal activity in this particular area. But this is not the end. We've got other investigations going. And frankly, since the release of the Mueller report, we've got the president and others at the White House doing things that actually put him in deeper water. Because if you remember, the third article of impeachment against Richard Nixon was contempt of Congress. That was the charge against Nixon because he was not providing papers and other things based on congressional subpoenas. Well, if the White House reaction now to the aftermath of the Mueller report is The Mueller report is all there is. We're not going to respond to any congressional requests for hearings, for materials, for appearances. He's essentially rewriting Nixon's third article of impeachment by not allowing Congress to do its constitutional duty to investigate a president's fitness for office. This is taking it to a new level, and that technically has nothing to do with the Mueller investigation. That has to do with what the president is doing and saying since the report was released. Yes, which makes me wonder if he's not trying to push for impeachment because he might see it as his only best of the worst options. It's a possibility. We, I, I hate trying yeah. to guess motives, and I've tried not to do that with, uh, with Director Mueller, even though my language may have lapsed here and there. I don't know what's in his mind. I don't know what's in his heart. I also don't know what's in the mind and heart of Donald Trump in terms of any strategy or if it's just instinctual reaction, just kind of a reflexive response to things rather than a a careful thought out strategy. But yes, it is possible that he not only does not fear impeachment hearings, but he welcomes them because he has bought into the narrative of impeachment hearings, if they are not likely to result in removal, are a political benefit to the accused. Um, I'm revisiting that myself. I'll be writing about it uh, shortly, but I'm not so sure Even I believed that coming out of the Clinton impeachment experience, but I'm not sure it obtains in this case, and I'm not sure the facts on the ground support it at all. Uh, Impeachment is a dynamic that creates its own reality and is not just based on the reality that people saw before beginning the impeachment. Right. You've seen one impeachment. You've seen one impeachment. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and, and, and it's hard to extrapolate from the others because the impeachment of Andrew Johnson back in the 1860s 
was very peculiar. For example, they did not pass articles of impeachment right away. They simply took a vote to impeach the president and then later on scratched their heads and said, oh, we should probably write up why we're impeaching him. And it was not it was not the rigorous kind of impeachment process that we are expecting today. That is, one of the articles of impeachment was essentially Andrew Johnson is saying bad things about Congress when he's speaking publicly. I mean, can you imagine if that were an article of impeachment? Most presidents since would have been impeached. That is not a good one to extrapolate from. The Nixon one is a very good one to extrapolate from because the core issues at stake in the three articles of impeachment passed by the Judiciary Committee were on obstruction of justice, abuse of power, contempt of Congress. All of those are live right now. Those are possibilities. The Clinton experience gives us a little bit more because the Nixon experience got cut off by resignation. But with two cases, you've got to be very careful about the analogy you draw and how far you extend it. We can definitely learn from them. If I didn't believe we couldn't learn from history, I wouldn't have written two books on the history of the presidency. But I do think we have to be wary about making political judgments. Yeah. And, and based on all the incredible information in your book, which, which is called How to Get Rid of a President, uh, I wanted to ask you, because you had just, you just sort of touched on it, about where you're at. And I'm on the fence as well. I'm right now leaning toward opening an impeachment inquiry because... I, I, and I feel, and this is important, it's, it's outlined in your book, Robert Reich just put out a, a thing about it. There's a lot of steps in, involved in impeachment, and an inquiry is simply the very beginning of it. And it, just because you open an impeachment inquiry doesn't mean you have to file articles of impeachment. And so I'm, I'm kind of wondering where you, where you stand on this with, with uh, yeah. the, the open, you know, doing just yeah. investigations that are non-impeachment versus maybe opening an impeachment inquiry. Sure. My colleagues at Lawfare have written an article on this a couple of days ago. Susan Hennessy and Quinto Jurassic wrote an article on what they call the necessity of Congress opening up an impeachment inquiry. Again, not to prejudge whether they actually adopt articles of impeachment and then vote on them, but simply because there is enough material here that it is the constitutional duty and the sole constitutional duty of the House of Representatives, uh, as opposed to any other body, to consider impeachment. No one else can do that but the House. Therefore, with the material that is now out in public view, uh, it would be irresponsible of them, not only for this case, but also as a precedent for future cases, not to consider impeachment. Uh, I subscribe to that point of view. I think there's a lot of value there. Of course, it crashes up against the perception of the political winds, which is the political winds are blowing in favor of an impeachment. Right now, if there were an impeachment vote in the House, I'm convinced it would pass. The Democrats have the majority. There are even some Republicans who are probably very uncomfortable with what they see in the president's activity, having nothing to do with any of the other cases that are still pending and anything else the president does outside of what is characterized in the redacted Mueller report. But because the Senate looks unlikely to convict right now, People perceive the political winds as saying, whoa, you don't want to impeach and not remove because that would give the president a victory and he'd have a rallying cry for 2020. Well, the president already has rallying cries for 2020. I don't anticipate that many people would be moved by a rigorous, careful, thoughtful process that investigated these issues and then decided if the president needed to be impeached and removed. I think if it's done correctly. I think the American people would show respect for that. We have to remember that after the Clinton impeachment, which was done much less carefully and did not have the same high level of raw material 
that is right now out there against this president. The myth out there, and this has been reinforced by the media over time, is that the Republicans were shellacked afterwards, that the Republicans were punished severely because they pursued an impeachment they should not have pursued in the first place. And while it's true that some of the House impeachment managers, the people who took it to the Senate when they argued for the impeachment to result in removal, some of them did lose their seats in subsequent elections. That's counterbalanced by someone like Lindsey Graham, who was helping to lead the effort and ended up becoming senator because of it. But in subsequent elections, such as 2000, the Republicans, I think, lost one or two seats out of 220-some in that election. The presidency went to a Republican. In the next few elections, Republicans would gain those seats back and rewin the presidency. That does not sound like the public punishing all Republicans because of the failed impeachment effort or the impeachment effort that resulted in a failed conviction. I just don't buy it. So to me, there's an argument to be made that that political obstacle, as people see it, to pursuing impeachment hearings in the first place, much less voting on the impeachment articles is based on a false analogy, which in turn is based on some false information about what actually happened. Right. And the, and the backlash against Republicans after Clinton or the lack thereof is the stick part of it. The carrot part of it, we have a little bit of a window into that because when Barr came out on March 24th and said, no collusion, no obstruction, president's awesome, he, the, the, the President Trump on the positive side gained zero. I thought he was going to get a huge bump in his approval rating. He gained zero. Yeah, for me, that points out something interesting, and I have not done the full political analysis on this, but look at the numbers. The president, no other president has had these consistently low approval numbers, that is job performance approval numbers, for this long in his presidency. It hasn't happened. Most presidents have had at least some time where they've been up in, what, 50s, 60s, etc., uh, Trump has never done that. I don't think he's, if he's ever exceeded 50, it was very briefly, but he's generally been in the, what, 36, 37 to mid 40s range for the vast majority of his presidency. But even with scandal after scandal, even with information coming out about uh, obstruction and collusion and conspiracies and all of this, he has never sunk down dramatically. So I heard someone characterize it, and I regret that I can't remember who, but they simply called it the fact that this president has a a, a very high bottom, that is, he's not going to drop probably down to where Nixon eventually did and other presidents have, but he also has a very low ceiling. That is, he's, he's not going to move up much either. Impeachment probably won't move that too much if everything we've seen in the last couple of years hasn't moved it that much. Yeah, and it, it sounds like we're on the same page, David, because I think regardless of whether or not opening an impeachment inquiry will get you the grand jury materials or if Nadler can get them without doing it, I think that the main point is is that if we do not take action, that we're to basically telling all future presidents and our enemies that you can steal our elections and or at least attempt to, and we aren't going to take action. That, that, is, that is one of the many dangers, and I, and I like the fact, and I can't even count them now, but I like the fact that in the last few days we've seen Many yeah. people coming out making that point, and not in a political sense, but making the point of in terms of defending the country against foreign threats, number one, and in terms of the precedent it sets for future behavior of the president, number two, that impeachment hearings make sense. You can put the political overlay on it all you want, but those are bigger issues, and those 
need to be put out there. Now, we also need to recognize some people made a very similar argument back in the Clinton administration, saying the president committed perjury. The president tried to obstruct justice. Um, these were things that happened, and we can't allow that to happen. Okay, um, I respect that point of view. The fact that he did it about a personal affair and the fact that that may not have been what the founders meant by high crimes and misdemeanors, those are very legitimate counterarguments, but they do not dismiss the original argument that the president did things that he probably would have been at least investigated for, probably indicted, maybe convicted for if he were a private citizen. Those are true facts on the ground. The true irony here and the hypocrisy is some of the people who argued that most convincingly back in the 1990s are the ones who are not saying a word today when it's the exact same principles at stake. That's what's worrisome for the democracy when partisanship trumps what's best for the country in terms of those core principles of separation of powers. Yep, agreed. All right, well, thanks uh, so much. Um, you are the CEO of Lawfare, former CIA, daily briefer of Robert Mueller, and author of How to Get Rid of a President. David Priest, thanks for joining us today. Always a pleasure. Thank you. All right, guys, that's our show this week. Uh, we just released a free episode of the Daily Beans pilot, so you guys can check that out. It's on your feed if you like. Uh, thanks again to everyone who voted for us to win the Webby. We're excited to go to New York and give our five-word speech. Help out with that at hello at MullerSheWrote.com if you have any ideas for that, if we should be on pogo sticks or what we should be wearing, uh, or if you have any corrections, obviously, from this episode, same email, hello at MullerSheWrote.com, or you can use the contact form on our website, MullerSheWrote.com as well. Uh, any final thoughts, guys? Yes. If you haven't left us an iTunes review, could you pretty please, if you feel so compelled to do so, go do that? Good idea. That would be amazing. Oh, yeah. We just got called. We just got a one star. Yeah, mm -hmm. we have so many bad ones yeah. at the top right now. After we the got... Mueller report dropped, a lot of, like, I guess, <laughs> non-Mueller short listeners came through to check us out, and they were like, this is bullshit. Yeah, yeah they so... called us cackling hens. Yeah, yeah. Some Ooh. of them just want me and Jordan to, like, just disappear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll give you hens. <laughs> I speak yeah. chicken. Nice. But no, it would be super awesome because our overall rating dropped from a 5 to a 4.5. <laughs> so it would be blast. cool if we yes. could get yeah. that shit up. Counteract those one-star wiener holes that come in. <laughs> uh, yeah, so let's see. I know this week's, new this week's news was a little grim, uh, but we have a lot to look forward to in 2020. It's absolutely essential. It's fucking essential <laughs> that we vote in numbers too big to manipulate and that we all get behind the Dem candidate no matter how much you hate them. I promise they're not worse than Trump. Oh, yeah. Patrons, look for the first episode of our ten, probably a 10-part series uh, on the Mueller Report tomorrow, probably. Uh, if you're a patron, if you're not, you can become one for $3 at patreon.com slash MillerSheWrote. Speaking of, some patrons are saying we're not popping up in their player feed anymore. Uh, and it seems like the best way to handle that, the fix, is to uh, reinstall your player app and drop your premium RSS feed from the original email you got into the player again. Correct. I have a theory, too, as to why this is happening. Um, Patreon's making a lot of changes mm -hmm. in I their think, interface mm -hmm. uh, on the payment aspect of it and also possibly with these passwords and stuff. So, yeah, just go ahead and try to reset everything. And if that doesn't work, send us an email. But it seems to be working for a lot of people. Yeah, people are just uninstalling, reinstalling the apps, dropping their original RSS, pr premium RSS feed into the, into their player. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's probably some sort of, like you said, a, a, like a software update from Patreon or for something. For sure, just yeah. Just kicked everybody off their feed and you just They've have to read. They've sent some emails, yeah, to creators. 
redo it. Um, but that does seem to fix the problem. But yes, we are putting out a full review of the Mueller report on this feed to the public once we record them all. But patrons, you get them ad-free and early. So look for the first one probably tomorrow. And so that's it. Unless you guys have anything else you want to say? No, just thanks again for the Webby being amazing fans. I love the tweets. I live for them. Wake up and just, yeah, it makes my day. So thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you for being with us and listening. Yeah, podcast here. He's convalescing. Um, he he's uh, a little high still. He's been on. He's on pain meds. Right, but he's also grateful. Yes, he's wearing his cat's pajamas, and he <laughs> jumped up today, hungry AF, Aww. and he ate a whole can of food. He's using his litter box. He's pretty. He's pretty much back to normal, nice. except for he's super high. Yeah, his, and his he's eyes got a giant. Are just, well, that's normal to me. Yeah, <laughs> he's got Molly eyes for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, and he's got a you know a massive incision, and he has to be a little careful. But uh, other than that, um, thanks so much to you guys for donating to his. GoFundMe. Uh, he belongs to all of us now. He's a cat, cat of Someone the people. Someone said we all belong to him. Yes, which is how cats operate. So <laughs> it's very true. Uh, anyway, guys, please take care of one another, love each other, uh, and take care of yourself. I've been AG. I've been Jaleesa Johnson. I've been Jordan Coburn. And this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is produced and engineered by AG with editing and logo design by Jaleesa Johnson. Our marketing consultant and social media manager is Sarah Lee Steiner, and our subscriber and communications director is Jordan Coburn. Fact-checking and research by AG, and research assistance by Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn. Our merchandising managers are Sarah Lee Steiner and Sarah Hirschberger Valencia. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first time lawyer, I wanna act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, 
I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.